Well, last week uh, we started this series, and if uh, you weren't here last week, I said last week was critical to understanding the rest of the series. So if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back, listen to that podcast, and then, then rethink about this message in light of that, because I think it puts it into the proper perspective. We titled the series Stewards because that is how we are described in the Bible. We're stewards. A steward is someone who doesn't own property. A steward is someone who's been given the opportunity to manage or to look after someone else's property. And someone who owns it has given it to someone else to manage the steward as if it's their own, knowing that it's not theirs. And so they manage it as the owner would manage it. And that's how we're described in Scripture. We were created to manage God's creation to be stewards of his creation. So we say everything that we have, all things that we have, life itself is a gift from God. And we've been called to steward our lives, to steward the resources that he's given us. Everything we have is his, and we are nothing but stewards. And one of the things that he's called us to be stewards over is our resources, our money. I say our money, his money, how easy that slips in, what he's given us. And we're called to do so in a radically generous way, in the same way Jesus was radically generous to us, by giving everything, not considering any of it his, but gave all for us, and he calls us to do the same. He's the perfect image of what it is to be a steward. And he calls his church, his people of his church, to live radically generous lives. But we know in order to do that, we have some challenges. We have challenges within us, and we have challenges around us that, that really speak against this idea that is taught about in Scripture, that Jesus himself taught about. And so this week, we're going to focus on the idea of being intentional, intentionally generous, because if we're not, we'll find ourselves just carried along by the current. And so we say, in order to be generous, we need to be intentional in our generosity. That word intentional means to do it on purpose, deliberately, consciously, personally, do you make a decision ahead of time to be generous? The opposite of that would be unconscious, unintentional, which doesn't that really describe a lot of times how we spend our money, how we give our money away sort of unconsciously, unintentionally, just going along in the current? You know, you find that that's what we do in this country, right? We unintentionally give away everything. We spend everything, and then we find ourselves at the end of the month without anything, or at the end of the week, without anything. And the sad part of it is, that's called living paycheck to paycheck. And 78% of U.S. workers live that way, paycheck to paycheck. At the end of the pay period, at the end of the week, after they've paid all the bills, there's nothing left. That's a scary way to live. But it's not the scariest way to live. There's another way to live. It's called spending more than you have. You know what that's called? American, right? I think it was Patrick Henry that said, give me liberty or give me debt. Oh, history majors. No, I, I think it was death. But you, know, you could interchange those, I think. But this word debt means that it's a state of being under obligation to pay or repay someone or something in return for something received, a state of owing. Does that not describe our state? A state of owing? We've bought into this idea that we can spend more than we have. That's the American ideal, and that's what we do. We just go right along with the current. We find ourselves living paycheck to paycheck and in debt. 80% of Americans have debt of some sort or other. 
And this year, it set a record. American household debt, you ready for this? Exceeded $13 trillion. That's a 13 followed by 15 zeros. But now, not all debt is created equal. The experts would tell you there's several kinds of debt. The first is investment debt. Investment debt would be those things that you invest in that appreciate. Actually, you spend money and it actually goes up in value. Things like your home or education have that kind of tag of investment. Not always, right? because sometimes you get into something you shouldn't have gotten into, you couldn't afford. But typically, on average, it's an investment. What you spend for it, eventually it appreciates and it's worth more. So going into debt for that could be considered wise, not foolish. Same thing with education. The higher the education in our country, typically the higher the paying the job is. Not always. It's becoming a riskier investment these days. More and more kids are coming out of college finding there are not jobs in, in their field. And that $120,000 they spent on their education that they owe in student loans looks like a, a, just a, a fool's gold. But it's still, on average, a good investment. The second kind of debt that experts say you should try to avoid is consumer debt. Consumer debt is when you go into debt over something that depreciates in value. Things like your automobile, your appliances, your clothes. Anything that doesn't hold its value or appreciate is considered to be consumer debt. And they say you take a double hit there. You go into debt to purchase these things, you not only experience the interest payment, you experience the depreciation. The value of this thing goes down and is no longer worth what you paid for it. So you get that double whammy. And here's what experts tell you that you should do. You shouldn't go into debt to buy these things. That you need to pay cash. Or delay the purchase. Because you can't afford it. Or buy something less expensive. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like... I wasn't taught that, but that's what the experts say, that it's foolish to go into debt over these kind of things. But, I mean, seriously, I mean, how hard is it when your next-door neighbor buys that new car and you're like, oh, that's a nice car? Or your friend just remodeled their kitchen and you're sitting there with 20-year-old appliances going, man, and then it's even worse when you sit there and go, well, we could afford to do that. We could, we could make the payment on the loan. We could do that. So why not just do it? Why not just spend the money? I mean, it's right there in front of you. I could just absolutely just reach out and touch it. Going in here, we actually have a treat. Do you like marshmallows? Yeah. Yeah? Do you want to have a seat? Let's get comfortable. The deal is, you can eat this marshmallow now, or you can wait until I come back and I'll give you two marshmallows. If you decide to change your mind, that's fine, okay? I'm waiting. Okay, I'm gonna push you in a little bit more. Oh. I'll be back in a few minutes. Hey, Lola. How'd you do? Good, I was waiting. You were waiting, good job. Here's your second marshmallow. Thank you. You didn't eat your marshmallow. Now, so you get another one. That took a little bit too long. I know, I'm sorry. Do you think your mom or dad would eat the first marshmallow or do you think they would wait like you did? Well, my dad would eat the first marshmallow and my mom would patiently wait.
Does that not describe our culture? You know, and I have to admit, that describes me. You know, because that marshmallow's right there in front of me. And the thing about it is, I know where they sell marshmallows, and I can go get more. I know where the marshmallow store is. And I can even go into debt for marshmallows if I want. But we're told that's not the wise thing to do. You know, and, and some of you are sitting here this morning going, amen. I've been preaching that for years. That debt is killing us. You know, and the experts agree. Debt is spiraling out of control. It's going to suffocate us if we don't do something about it. But I would say debt is not our problem. Debt is not the problem. Debt is a symptom of a deeper problem. I agree with David Tripp in his book, Redeeming Money. He says, the most serious money problem anyone could have is not debt, it is worship. Debt is the symptom of worshiping our money or the stuff that money can buy. Debt is the symptom of putting our hope and our trust and our security in our stuff and in our money. Worship of that stuff is the problem. Paul said to Timothy, he didn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. He said, no, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the worship of money that's the problem. And that's our culture. We worship our stuff. That's the gospel in our culture. You know, there's this guy in Scripture, his name is Paul. He was known originally as Saul. He was a guy that went around persecuting Christians, putting them in jail and, and bringing them before the, the courts to kill them. One day, Jesus greets Saul, changes his whole life, spends the rest of his life sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone that would listen, and he planted churches. And one of the places he planted churches was this city called Ephesus, a city very much like Chicago. It was considered to be the second most important city in the Roman Empire. It was a port city where they did a lot of commerce. It would have been a hub for commerce and culture, much like our own. And it was to a church in a city much like ours that Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And to this church, he says, you should live differently than the culture. You've been taught to live differently as followers of Jesus Christ. And in one of those times, he's writing to us in chapter 4, starting with verse 17. I'm going to be reading to you this morning out of the NIV translation. And it says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's writing to the people that are followers of Jesus Christ who are sort of falling back into their old practices of living in the Roman culture as the Romans do. And he's saying, you've got to stop doing that because you know better. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. He's saying, they don't know the things you know. Their hearts are hard because they don't know the truth about the love of God. They don't know the truth of the gospel. But you know the truth of the gospel. You know better. <clears throat> Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to the Roman way, to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. 
That word greed there is, is, can be translated covet, full of all types of covetousness, that they're seeking after what's not theirs. Their eyes are on everybody else's stuff, and they're planning and figuring out ways how they can get their hands on somebody else's stuff that's not theirs. That's where that life leads. He says, but you know better. It says, that is, however, not the way of life you learned. That's not how I taught you when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that self, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful natures, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. He's saying, remember what I taught you, that you're just like your ancestors. You have the sinful nature in you still. And that sinful nature will guide you and direct you away from Jesus' way. He will lead you in a different direction. And there's an adversary there that will lead you in that direction and longs to lead you away from God's ways. Know that He's appealing to that sinful nature in you. And so when you find yourself closed-fisted, walled off from everything, leading a life that only seeks after your own comfort, understand who you're following. And it's not Jesus. He goes on to say, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We are called to call one another out. We're called to speak the truth. How we're living as we shouldn't live. How we're living as our old self. How we're living and believing in a gospel that's not the gospel that Paul taught, not the gospel that Jesus lived. And he reveals to us that there's this adversary. There is this one who wants a foothold in your life. And to do that, he brings up anger in your life when somebody calls you out. Or when you call somebody else out and, and point something out, and then there's anger, right? Because it, we're talking about money. And there's a lot of emotion tied up with money, and it's easy to get offended when someone calls us out. And he's saying, don't fall for that trick. But when you find yourself angry, go and settle that score between the two of you. Don't go away grumbling. Don't go find somebody else who agree with you and grumble with them. He says, no, go to the person and settle it. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't allow him to divide you. Not over a thing like money. Don't do it. There's far too much at stake. It says, those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, in tax season, we don't cheat on our taxes. We pay to Caesar what is due Caesar. It's what Jesus himself taught us to do. So we don't cheat. We don't find ways to steal so that we have more. No, we don't do that. We work with our hands. We work for what we get. We do good by working for our employers, as he'll go on to say, that it's good that you do that. Because it's not your employer that you're working for, it's Jesus that you're working for. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, it's good that you find satisfaction, that you work hard and toil for your labor, and that you're paid for that. And it's a gift from God that you are paid, and it's a gift from God that when you do have wealth and enjoy it, 
You recognize that's a gift from God. He's not saying that having marshmallows is bad. He's saying worshiping those marshmallows is a bad thing. But he goes on to say, those marshmallows just aren't for you, though. He goes on to say, you work with your own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. See, we work and we toil for money. But God never intended that money to be used only for you. He intended for you to share it. That's why he gave it to you. And Solomon says, if you won't do that, he'll make sure it gets into the hands of some, someone who will. And Paul's saying, we know better. We know better. We've been taught in Jesus' way. And so when we find ourselves getting defensive and find ourselves arguing in our own mind against what God's word says, he says, understand, there's someone else out there that's chirping in your ear. There's someone else that you're following. And whether we consume what we see in this American culture, either consciously or unconsciously, believe me, it's going to direct us somewhere else. It's going to demand our allegiance somewhere else. We live in a culture that diverts our eyes. We live in this culture, and that's always the sign. That's always the promise. It's just here to the right. And you think you've arrived, and it's just to the right. It is always just over there. That's the dream. You'll never get there. You'll never find it. There will never be hope. There will never be peace. There will never be security. Only the promise of it. And we know better. We've been taught it doesn't exist here. True security doesn't exist here. Jesus himself said this in his Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, starting in chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve both God and money. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying our eyes, where we place our gaze, our eyes affect our hearts, what we desire what we long for. And when all you do is fix your gaze on the marshmallow in front of you, believe me, your heart will be there too. But he's saying, don't treasure treasure on earth. That's how you could translate that first line. Don't treasure your treasure because it's a, it's a false hope. I'd like to give you an illustration this morning to kind of make this point. It was an illustration I saw from Francis Chan. And he used this rope. And this rope, as I bring it out and, and stretch it across the stage, I want you to think of this rope, although it's long, think of it as longer still. That this rope goes on and on and on 
into the future and into the distance, and it doesn't end. It goes on forever. So imagine that as best you can. Now I want you to imagine this rope that goes on forever to be a timeline, a timeline of your existence that begins here and goes on forever. And I want you to look at this white part here on this rope. And this rope, this white piece of the rope, represents your existence here on earth, your life here on earth. And Jesus is saying, what you're doing is you're obsessing over this. This is all you can see. And in fact, you even go further and go, you know, right here, if I start planning and I start saving and I, I hoard enough up and I keep everything for myself when I get here, then you know what? I can travel, I can do all of this stuff, and I can, it'll be a fun time there. So I have to, like, right here, I got to work as hard as I can. I got to put as much money as way I can because you know what? When I get here, there's a lot, there's a lot. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. There's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more. Your life on earth is here. But then there's this whole other existence that starts here, and it goes on forever and ever and ever. But you're so focused about this, this is all you can see. And we forget that this life here has consequences and affects this existence here. And what Jesus is saying to you as his followers, he's saying, you know what? I've given you this and everything that's here that you find so valuable. But I've also given you this, which is so much more valuable. But you can't see it. You don't fix on it because you're so focused on what's right in front of you that you can't see what God has in store for you. That you're living for this little piece right here and you're holding on, and you're arguing, and you're finding every excuse in the world to just focus right here. And Jesus is saying, that's a foolish way to live. That's a selfish way to live. Because I've created you for so much more than this. So fix your eyes on this. What I have in store for you no one's going to rob. No one's going to come in and steal. No one's going to take away from you. All of this stuff right here that you're protecting stays right here. You don't get to take it with you. So why are you obsessing over this when there's all this? I've given you this. Yes, this too is my gift to you. And all those marshmallows, I gave those to you. They're for your good. But also to share with others. But if all we're ever doing is obsessing over this and protecting this and fighting over this, we'll never, ever be consistently generous with this. And there will never, ever be any hope of us living that life that Jesus describes as the abundant life that steps back and looks at it through Jesus' eyes and understands that everything that we have is a gift from him if we can step back and get Jesus' perspective for a moment, not just for a moment, but consistently for moments, we'll see that this isn't worth fussing over. It isn't worth fighting over. It isn't worth world wars over fighting over this little part when there's so much more to come. Fix your eyes on Jesus and what he has prepared for you. Put this into perspective. 
by fixing your eyes on him and gaining his perspective. He says, then you will see and understand and begin to believe what true treasure really is. It's only the truth found in his word, found in existence with him, where we find what our true treasure is. And if we continue to live unconsciously, if we continue to just spend our money unintentionally, we're going to find ourselves floating along in the current of our culture. And so we need to break out of that current. We need to start swimming against the current. But here's the thing, we keep trying to do that in our own strength, and we can never seem to make any headway. Scripture tells us how we do it. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews tells, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, let us run the race with perseverance. Let's do it with strength. Let's do it with all of our might. The map that he's marked out for us, but we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on him. Because he promises to reorient our hearts. He's given us the spirit that lives in us to reorient our hearts, to remind us that we're no longer slaves to that old sinful man. And we're not living this generous life so that we can gain all of this. All this is ours. Do you not see that? And that's the perspective we get when we gaze upon Jesus and his truth and his word, that this life is more than just this. And he's called us to share that good news and our resources with the world, to live truly generous lives for the rest of our lives as he lived. Generous people sharing the good news of Jesus, opening our hands, leading generous lives as he lived. And to do that, we need to break out of some old habits. We need to enlist the help of those around us because we need help breaking out of habits that we don't even know exist. We need to break the hold that that old sinful man has on us and we need to ask one another for help knowing, all right, this is a bold move, knowing the chances are when you start holding one another accountable to money, as Paul said, probably tempers are going to flare. There's going to be hurt feelings. So just know that going in. And admit that going in, that that's not going to scare you, that there's too much at stake. And we're going to agree together. It's the greatest way to hold yourself accountable. It's the greatest way to hold yourself accountable is to ask somebody else to walk with you. And see, we know that. That's why we don't ask people to walk with us. But that's what he tells us to do. That's Jesus' way. Why? So we stop focusing on this, and we can gain a bigger Jesus perspective of everything that he's given us. That it's all his, and we've been called to be stewards of it. That's it. But how we do that has an effect on everything, not just our life, but everyone's life whose hardened hearts are fooling them into believing that the American dream will fill that hole in their heart that is just around the corner. They don't understand that that's a lie. We, we, with our generous lives, generous hearts, overflowing with love, have an opportunity to share the truth about the gospel and how Jesus is the only one that fills that hole. He's the only one worth worshiping. He's the only one that truly looks after our best interest. And so 
we teach what Jesus teaches, even on money. Because, as I said last week, and I'll say it again, God is not trying to get your money. He's trying to keep your money from getting you. And so when you came in today, we gave you this sheet of paper. This commitment card looks like this when you came in. And I want you to look at it, and, and we want you to take this with you this week and study it and sort of like make some plans, intentionally look at this and decide what you will do. Because it's good that we're intentional, that we make decisions about what we will spend and what we won't spend and where we will spend it. But I want you to read this verse with me first. And I want you to understand that this is not a scorecard. This is not a measuring stick for us. This is for you. It's a tool meant to help you put things in its proper perspective. Read this verse with me, would you? This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me read that again. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not what anybody else tells you to give, not what I tell you to give, not what Pastor Dan tells you to give, but what you in your own hearts have decided to give. Motivated by the love of Jesus, not by the guilt, not by compulsion. And don't do so reluctantly. For God loves a cheerful giver. He knows the benefit for you when you give cheerfully and you give out of your heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you give your treasure away, guess what comes? Your heart your heart will follow. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. All of you, not just 10% of you, not just 50% of you, but all of you. And so this tool is meant to help instruct us to take steps in that, not to take one giant big leap unless you're ready, but to take steps toward him leading a more generous life with everything that he's given us. And so this ladder here on the bottom part, sort of guides you and helps you understand maybe where you're at. It kind of gives you a place of where you're at. I would say at the bottom of this ladder kind of exists financial stress, which means at the top of that ladder, I would say there's financial peace because when you find yourself living as Jesus, you would find yourself free from the financial stress of this world. So maybe you're down here at the bottom and you're considering giving for the first time. Maybe you've been around for a while and you've never given to the ministry of Trinity. You know, last year there were 141 first-time givers at Trinity who came and said, yep, be a part of your church. And maybe that's what you'd like to do this morning. Maybe that's you're there. But I want to tell you that comes with some, like, there, there's some um, other things that go with that, right? There's some other things that we'll find out, you know, like you're going to write a check and it's going to have your address and it's going to have your name on it. So you're going to kind of no longer be anonymous. So I just want to kind of full, full disclosure this morning. And so when you give online, too, by a credit card or debit card, same thing happens. We know you, right? But that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you're known because there are people here that care about you. And it's also a good thing because then at the end of the year, we'll send you a statement and say, this is how much you give so that you don't have to give Caesar so much at tax time. He didn't say we're to be fools. He said we're to be wise. And so 
I know that some of you give cash, and we take cash. I'm not discouraging you from giving cash, but for your benefit, you need to write a check. You need to put it in an envelope. Let us know. Be known, not just for tax purposes, but for spiritual purposes. You need to be known so that we can walk together. There are people in this congregation that, that started off right, right there, right where you're at right now. And there are places in discovering things that people are like, well, why would you do that? That's nuts. And you're like, look at all this. That's not crazy. Or maybe you're finding yourself taking the next step of being an occasional giver, which is a good thing. Not consistently, but intentionally, you have decided to honestly support the ministry and give intentionally. And the next step is to be intentionally intentional about doing it on a regular basis, that you're giving a percentage or a portion of your income every week. And then there's that number that you hear in church that's tithe, that you give 10% is what that means, 10% of your income right off the top. You know, in the Old Testament, they used to give the best. They gave their unspotted lambs the very best. And what did they do with it? They brought it to the altar and they burnt it up. What would happen if you brought the 10th and you brought it up here and we like this, right? It's all intended to let you know that your hope doesn't reside there. That's what it's about. And so we come and we give a tenth off the top because it's not crazy. It's living the life that Jesus called us to live. And we do so not reluctantly, but willingly from our hearts, you find Jesus at work. And then there's this other ladder up, this other rung at the top. And I would say it's not the top. I think extravagant is a big step, but also a big rung. And extravagant, we would say, is giving beyond a tithe. We have people that decide to give more than 10%. And what they, the way they approach it is this. They don't say, well, how much should I give? They're saying, okay, God, how much should I live on? How much are you asking me to keep? Then I'm giving away the rest. We have people in our midst that are doing that. And some of us look at that and go, that's nuts. <laughs> how would you do that? Right, but David Ramsey, you guys familiar with David Ramsey? Not the Dave Ramsey that attends here, you know, but Dave Ramsey, he's a financial guy, and he does this thing called Financial Peace University. Maybe you've seen it. And he has some very good wisdom for us in the church. And this is from one of his blogs. And he says this, Many people have observed that after they stop tithing, their finances seem to get worse. If you can't give, live off of 90% of your income, then you're probably, not, you're probably struggling to live off 100% anyway. And that means you have bigger financial problems you need to address. Tithing was created for our benefit. It teaches us how to keep God first in our lives and how to live unselfishly. Unselfish people make better spouses, friends, relatives, employees, and employers, and they usually have better finances because we've learned how to put money in its proper perspective because Jesus has taught us the true importance of money. He's taught us that it's not just about money, that there's so much more than just money. And he's given us an opportunity to share that news, to share what we've been given for his mission for the work around the world so that people wouldn't have hard hearts, that we could help soften their hearts through our generosity. But to live truly, consistently generous lives, we need to understand that we are first and foremost stewards. And as stewards of God's resources, we need to keep our eyes fixed on him, asking him to direct our hearts and our eyes as to where he would have us use his resources. Come back next week, we're going to talk about how when we do that, we can have influence in this world how we can truly change lives in our communities and in our world. Come back next week.